In the age of Instagram and social sharing, brick-and-mortar businesses offer a unique advantage that even the biggest and best online platforms can't compete with. On Brick and Mortar Reborn, we talk with business owners and industry experts about what they're seeing work best for brick and mortar businesses who aren't just competing with their online counterparts, but thriving in spite of all the options that customers now have. We'll share exactly what you can do to set yourself up for success with an experience that wows your customers and keeps them coming back for more. And now our host, Bobby Maramat. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Brick and Mortar Reborn. Today we have a very special guest with us, Tony Drockton, founder and chief cheerleader of Hammett in Los Angeles. Tony, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, before we get started, if you don't mind giving our listeners a little view of Tony Drockton and, and what you're all about and, and what Hammett's all about, that'd be great. <laughs> well, you know, I'm a little boy from Ohio, I guess it's done good, Bobby. Uh, after getting my undergrad and MBA in Ohio, I hightailed right out here to Hermosa Beach, California, seeking my fortune, early 20s, single guy. And let's just say I took a not so straight path to luxury, jumped right into selling yellow pages door to door because it's where I could make the most money. Met my future partner that I started a roofing company with for about seven years, still around a very large one. And then I jumped into the first internet boom, 98, 99, 2000, into the digital ad space and really learned a lot there. It was with the startup that went from zero to about 100 employees with zero revenue. And uh, of course, a lot of fun, learned a lot. <laughs> and uh, I decided to go where the money is again and went right into the mortgage business, residential as a mortgage broker. Real estate boom took off. And then here we were a little about 2006, seven. I'm like, when do I get to grow up? I thought money, you could shake a tree and it would just come off because almost everything that I'd done had done well. So I invested in this little handbag brand called Hammett. I was introduced to Stephanie Hammett by a mutual friend. And uh, in middle of 2008, I said, I can build a luxury brand. And uh, I went all in. And well, I think you know what happened in the fall of 2008. The world decided it wasn't going to keep working the same way. But I was already all in. I'm a quick start entrepreneur. And here we are 13 years later. Along the way, (laughs) I did lose it all. Lost my house, got divorced, couch surfed for a couple of years, uh, 2011 to 2015. That's kind of really when I found out that you got to work hard for something you really want. And it was probably the worst, but the best years of my life because it reminded me how much I needed to value the importance of earning money and saving it and investing it over time. And it also taught me that money doesn't fall from trees. And so during those four years, I kept pushing hard, had this vision to build Hammett as this luxury handbag brand out of LA. And uh, slowly, middle of 15, I started doing a little bit better. I actually am sitting in the house that I lost in a short sale right now. I got my house back. I moved back in with every piece of furniture that I put in storage for four years after couch surfing. And, uh, and now today it just got completely remodeled. So I've cleansed the energy and now it's a whole new house on the inside between 15 and, you know, 2021 Hammett has quickly grown to be the fastest growing handbag brand in America. We're positioned in the luxury category, but we're priced really uh, below the Hermes, Louis Vuitton, and Gucci's, but above the American brands. And I'm, I'm really proud of my team. Got a great CEO, Andrew Forbes, as our leader. 
He was the founding CEO of Jimmy Choo, spent eight years building that brand. He also did a little brand called Taryn Rose. He also launched another little brand called the Kardashians Clothing. And uh, he's been my mentor since I started. And he always kept telling me, even in the toughest times, Tony, we, you can do this. Keep going, keep going. And uh, today he's taken us uh, you know, far. That's amazing. That's amazing. Tell me about the brand. What, what does the brand stand for? What's, all, what's it all about? I spent 10 years really trying to define that, Bobby. And what I think I found out was I didn't, I wasn't the one to define it. My customers were. And so the customers like to say that Hammett is the most functional luxury brand they carry. So it's the one go-to bag that just doesn't sit in their closet for special events. They'll take it everywhere. So we're known for the softest leather. We're known for exceptional customer service. We have a lifetime warranty that no matter what, we replace or repair the bags. And we're relentlessly focused on before, during, and after the relationship with our individual customers and also with our specialty and department stores as partners. That's amazing. That's amazing. I was checking out your site and my, my wife was looking over and she's like, I, I could have some. So I got to go. I got to purchase a few after this. Uh, well, we're, we're, we're a dangerous addiction, Bobby. But we're, <laughs> we're, we're not even close to those, you know, Patek Philippe watches and those, those Ferrari cars. So, you know, what? <laughs> I, think, I think all of our wives, including my girlfriend, deserve a few habit bags. There you go. There you go. I love <laughs> it. I love it. So, Tony, as you've been kind of maneuvering, by the way, great story, truly an entrepreneurial story. And I think our listeners are really going to enjoy kind of hearing your trajectory and, and, and how you built this, this awesome brand, but you had to go through some bumps along the way, which is, which is very commendable, the resilience that you had to keep going. As you've been kind of maneuvering and, and building up the brand, what are some of the, the value drivers that you think are important to customers actually purchasing the Hammett brand? Why do they come back? What are some of the values that they see in the Hammett brand? I always focused on integrity, even in any of those companies before Hammett, just being transparent and honest. Well, in building a luxury brand, I think you have to have three value drivers, price, product, and brand integrity. And if I can go a little deeper, you know, price integrity is really simple. It's stable pricing across all the channels and over time, which means not only does it start out at the same price, but it consistently holds a value over time. It doesn't drop to zero. That's luxury. And pr- product integrity, we don't make for margin. You don't make for channel. You don't put your brand name on products that are at different levels of quality based on who's selling them. So the product integrity basically means every hammock is exactly the same, the same quality made with the same intentions to last a lifetime, just like Hermes, Louis Vuitton, Gucci. And brand integrity, you know, to me, that's the one where you can get a little squishy because anyone can have brand integrity as long as you're realistic of what your brand really is. But luxury brand integrity means you never sacrifice that relationship between you and your fan, your customer. The brand integrity means they can trust it emphatically. Complete trust by the customer means you're a luxury brand. And I really believe we have that. If I have my information here correct, you have a few stores and then you sell online. What are some of the changes that you had to make during the pandemic to to still reach your your customers? Or or was everything kind of business as usual? You do have it right. We just opened our second retail store, Bobby, right here in our hometown, Manhattan Beach. We have a second one down in South Coast Plaza in Orange County. And we started out specialty. So we have over 500 specialty doors around the country in every state. Plus, we have about 300 department stores, all Dillard's, all Von Mars, 
and then were carried online at Hammett.com and Zappos. So we were wholesale for 10 years. Then about three years ago, I said, I think D to C is just, I've got to focus on it, but we just never had the money. Remember that middle period? (laughs) It's like every time you're just trying to do an event to get more money. But we finally had the the, the momentum winded our back. And so luckily we had started on NetSuite in the cloud 13 years ago. And even though we were all wholesale, we had implemented EDI. We had done everything to be tech savvy and have a nice tech stack. So bolting on a Shopify Plus on the front end and going hard for D2C, it wasn't that big of a stretch for us. But the hard part was understanding how to really be the D2C brand and retraining everyone in the company. Luckily, three years ago, I started first. I think I mentioned to you before the call, I ran my, the entire company for the last five years from this mobile phone. Why? Because I wanted to understand the mobile experience myself. And I knew that's where all business would come from eventually. It's just easier. So with that individual knowledge of mobile, with us having a nice tech stack to build from, we started to focus on the direct consumer customer. And we went from 100% wholesale three years ago to 90-10 two years ago. And then all of a sudden we come into this pandemic, we got a little base and we said, wholesale's dead. Dillard's Monmar, even though we were their top selling brand, we can't depend on this for the next year. Specialties were closed. We went all in, sat down with our board, our CEO, and I said, we just got to look for the opportunities in the pandemic, not the roadblocks. Let's find opportunities and let's push the pedal down as fast as we can. So if I could say, if we were playing cards, we were all in. We did a massive mobile-first ad spend right away starting April, May, June of last year. We went all in. We loaded up SMS we had never used before. We invested even deeper in social, into influencers. We upgraded our email system and all of the lists. We started doing native content on blogs. And literally by this time in May last year, we still had not put anything on sale And we had held back on anything that was promotional, but we said, let's do our semi-annual sale now. And last May, we had a 4X revenue enhancement from our previous event during the pandemic. And it taught me that if you hold out, don't freak out March, April, if you really plan, you can actually win. And that win in May, put the wins at our back, we went all in for D2C for the rest of the year. We increased our orders from our manufacturer. We increased our digital spend. And every month last year, we grew. We ended up, besides increasing the massive spend, we ended up going deep on social. We opened Hammett Television in the end of March, early April downtown, a full-time broadcasting for streaming, for Facebook Lives, for Instagram Lives. We started talking with our customers, with fans, really with anybody that you could live stream because we knew that was it. We launched Spotify Hammett Soundtracks online. We did live streams from our retail floor of our store while it was closed down in South, South Coast Plaza. We added a lot of new softwares like this one called Hero. It's an instant video or one-on-one chat. It over is on top of a gorgeous, which is an overall chat. So the difference is when you're talking to someone on Hero, it's, it's like you're in the store with them. So we had this one-on-one relationship that we were actually closing business on top of all the other ways we had customers. We added seven days a week customer service for the weekends. We started doing weekly limited edition drops almost immediately. And we just had every employee participate focusing on D2C starting last March, April, and May. And if I have to add, we took a pay cut 
across the board because we didn't know what was going to happen. The executives took 70. My middle managers took 40. But we said in 90 days, and that was middle of March, if we're back, we'll restore you to full pay. We didn't know we're going to get a PPP. We did. We didn't know May would be so good. On that 90th day, we went back to full salaries. We only laid off two people of our 50-person workforce, and we even repaid the back pay because we felt good. Now, because of that, our people just went all in. It was an amazing, like, woo! So we stayed open. Nobody could call me non-essential. We kept our offices open. We kept our warehouse shipping open. We told our employees they didn't have to come in, but if they wanted to, we made the environment safe. We had we ordered temperature gauges in February because my factory's in China and he warned me. We had masks already over here. So we had a safe environment and a lot of people came in and worked and it really made a difference. If we would have shut down, Bobby, we'd be out of business. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's all about what, what do you what, how you come together and kind of figure out how to lean in right to the times, if you will. And, and, and sometimes you have to modify the business a little. But it's great. if it wouldn't have worked, we wouldn't be talking. Yeah. <laughs> because we would have been out of business anyways. That's how I looked at it. You remember how horrifying it was a year ago. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Hundred percent. This was a scary time for a lot of businesses. And as you know, like we talked to a lot of businesses and it it's interesting because as you talk to a lot of businesses, the, the ones that really show the resilience, they lean in and they they think about their business differently are the ones and I know that sounds easier said than done, but those are the ones that are really really, you know, surviving and thriving now, now coming hopefully close to the end of the pandemic here. <laughs> and on that same note, I didn't discuss this, but our specialty stores and our two major department stores fully supported us. We had a very tough conversation about it, but I said, I can only make product for the rest of the year if you take what I have and you have to pay me in full. I'm not going to discount it. And they trusted me and they paid us and they took product and kept it in their warehouse because they weren't even open because they, the relationship we built over time. And in the end, the summertime was really busy for them. They needed our product. And we were one of the only handbag brands in their departments that had fresh product for the fall because we kept making it. So it also really played into our success that our specialties and our department stores had a record year with us too, of coming back this year, they're up triple digits of our brand. Yeah. It's all good stuff. Yeah, you're, you're all pointing to the stuff that, you know, really uh, creates an amazing story. And, and I know part of this is probably, you know, why, why you said your brand is getting stronger is because also your employees and your team members all feel the same way about the brand after you, know, you went through that, that last story of being able to kind of double down, pay them back and get everyone in the same place and thinking the same way, same vision. Uh, that's a big testament to how you, how you led the company. That's great. Thank you. I read that Netflix uh, deck. I don't know if you've ever heard about Netflix has a deck. It's pretty famous. Yeah. And what we say, everyone gets paid. There's no vacation time. They pay people to leave, meaning if they don't want to be here, we pay you to leave. I got to tell you, genius. So we copy as much of that as we can. And it's worked out. This is all about people. Yeah. So Tony, in, in like, uh, you know, you have, again, both, both store locations and you have your D2C line. What do you want customers to, to think about, to feel? If they're walking into your store, do they get the same experience as if they're buying online? And what is that experience? Like, what, what do you go after? Well, I mean, I think our experience is, is unique because it's all about not just before, not just during, but also after. I mean, the, the Hammett experience before they even come and see us is usually a friend tells them about Hammett. We are a referred brand. So the most common thing we'll hear from someone is I heard about you from my neighbor, from my brother, from my sister, from, from someone they knew. So that in, to be referable, I think, is the most 
success you can ask for. And then once somebody encounters our brand, whether it be with a partner or whether it be at our retail store or online because of the technology we use to have one-on-one, we want them to have that same experience. We want people to just feel love and happiness and joy. We're from Hermosa Beach, California. It's this little beach town of like 15,000 people and it's still cool and it's small. People say hi to each other when you walk down the street, whether you know each other or not. You stop and pet dogs. People move here from all over the country. Some people have lived here for four generations. We want our bags to feel like that. We want people to just instantly connect with them. And so in our stores or online, that's how we talk to people. Like they're a friend. Like you're sitting over a picket fence having a one-on-one conversation with each other. And then afterwards, I think that's the real key, right? What happens if there's a problem? What happens if you want to return it? We take all the friction out of that. There's no registration. There's no, no, no limit. We will replace a bag 10 years later. We will repair it no matter what. We don't care if they bought it on eBay and it was, it was broken. We don't want a hammock bag sitting on a shelf in the back of the closet because that doesn't help the brand. And so when you do all three of those, I think you get what's called rinse and repeat. I don't know if you realize that's how shampoo got popular. You used to only wash your hair once every couple of weeks. But when they taught people you got to wash it every day, rinse and repeat, and then you got to wash it twice, they sold a lot more shampoo, didn't they? <laughs> Good boy, yeah. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Tony, what do you think? Uh, you know, one of the questions that we get that our listeners are going to be super interested in and hearing from you is, you know, as they're thinking about, you know, they have maybe one, one, one sort of distribution or, or maybe a few sort of distribution points, and they're thinking about building up a D2C brand. What are your suggestions? What are your advice to those folks? No. Don't do it. (laughs) You know, Bobby, I went through it. So if you're listening and you are a pure wholesale brand, I want to tell you, it is not easy. Don't let someone come into your place and say, oh, just buy some Facebooks and you're ready to go. Woo! No, 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 no. I think you really got to get strategic. First of all, find a mentor. Reach out to me. By the way, I love when people reach out to me. And Sit down and be realistic about the transition phase based on where you are and where you're going. Get some really good coaches or mentors that have been there, that have made this transition. That's really important. It's about the mindset. And when I say the mindset, I'm talking about yours if you're listening to this and you feel like you're ready to go. And then I'm talking about your employee's mindset because your current employees are wholesale. They're used to doing business a certain way. And I know for me, the first 10 years, I really thought our customer, in my mind, was the person wearing the bag. But when you're a wholesale brand, your customer is the specialty store or the department store. That's really the person you have to sell in order to even carry it. And then you have to keep maintaining the relationship based on their terms. So you have this mindset in your entire company that needs to shift, and it will not shift quickly. You will have to lose some people, and you're going to have to bring in some fresh blood. And that's maybe where the matters. Once you've done that, I think the mindset also has to be about what does D to C mean? For me, D to C is not in place of wholesale. It's an expanding pie. So if you look at your wholesale business as your new competitor, again, don't go into D to C. If you're able to support your existing wholesale channels and still launch a successful D to C, then you've got a winning strategy. And that does take price, product, and brand integrity, right? Because if you're competing on price, it's one or the other. So if you're focused on you know, expanding the pie, 
benefiting your brand overall, your retailing partner, your customers, you have the right mindset for D to C. And then after that, then you got to think about the customer. Now it's the one person that's carrying our bags. So you have to make every decision, every decision about them and never be conflicted because the minute you're conflicted, they're smart. They see it, they feel it, and they can move on quickly. But if you really make it all about, a, about the customer, then your company and your existing partnerships will all benefit because the customer will feel it no matter where they buy the bag. And that's where the brand price and product integrity comes in again. And finally, the friction. A lot of friction is transition, man. A lot of friction. So when I looked at getting D to C, I had no idea how many systems I had to, to change, how many APIs I had to plug in on top of NetSuite, which we've been on for 13 years. Probably, honestly, it was the best decision to launch in the cloud. And only did that because of my time that I was in digital advertising in the late 90s. That's when Salesforce came out. That's when the cloud was really started. And I was able to use it. I was like, this is amazing. I can get access to all this from any device. So because of that, if you're already in the cloud and you're listening, you're going to have a nice transition. If you're not, you don't have to put everything in the cloud, but you better be in the cloud on your D2C side. That's for sure. So find some software that'll help you and eliminate as much friction as you can in the D2C channel. And what I mean by that is besides the right technology, you have to have great people. You got to execute and expect some turnover from some of your existing team. And you suggest, uh, I know, again, you have a few stores, you're in a bunch of specialty stores and you sell direct to consumer as well. Is that the mix that works for everyone or, or how would you look at the mix of distribution? You know, I, I don't think so. I think there's a lot of very successful online-only brands. Look at fast fashion. Look at the new ones, the ASOS. I mean, amazing. He's he come straight out and said, we're never going to open stores. They've been buying old store brands and launching them on their site, right? So I think you just got to pick your lane. If you are going to focus only online, only and you're going to probably not be a luxury brand. Because I believe the luxury category requires that human touch, that one-on-one. So if you're going to be just digital and you're going to try to sell only on third-party platforms, you better be the lowest priced or you better have something that's so amazing that everyone's going to find you. So I think you also got to be realistic about your product and where it's positioned and what the competition is going to look like if you're going to be pure D to C. Because you'll invite a lot if you're successful because everyone can see the data. There is secrets online. So the nice about having your own stores and having wholesale is nobody really knows your secrets. Nobody knows your numbers. So by having all three for us, it's like these teeter-totter levers that we can lean on. If nothing taught me more during the pandemic is that having great wholesale partnerships can serve you so well through the worst of times. And having a D to C strategy can also serve you so well during the worst of time, the worst of times. So they all can work together. Yeah, I think it's you know, you're basically saying, hey, pick your lane. But you know, there's a lot of different ways to slice and dice it based on the brand. There is. Oh, let me add one more thing, Bobby. I think yeah, it's sure. for your listeners to know, when we opened our first store in Orange County a year and a half ago, I told myself with an, at a certain time I'd look at our overall data and I'd analyze it versus other markets where we don't have a store. So we took a look at AOV, conversion, open rate of emails, open rate of SMSs in just the LA and Orange County area 
for the past 18 months when we had a store here. And we can we compared it to the five other biggest digital markets in the country without a Hammett store. Every number was up between 25 and 100% over the other markets. So there it showed me that having that physical store bled into the overall digital world directly for my brand. Not to mention during the pandemic, we actually added 150 specialty partners and we're still adding them. And I think it's because that digital spend was so intense. They just started hearing about us and seeing us and then they wanted to carry us. So it's kind of like this reverse. It's almost like I, I was like, oh, I wish I would have learned this 10 years ago. But <laughs> the more we market the brand, the, the more specialties want to carry it. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you say that because there's a lo- there's been a lot of actually throughout the pandemic is kind of counterintuitive, but a lot of brands that were online only were actually looking at adding store locations because of exactly what you're saying. Now they can get real estate for a little bit cheaper because everyone's a little bit weary about real estate, right? And then be able to put put out store locations. And a lot of the brands that, that were smart during this time were actually thinking about more of a brick and mortar strategy. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I, headlines suck. Retail is dead. Bad retail has always been dead. Sears died 50 years ago. We just gave them their last rights a couple of years ago. JC Penney's, you know, thing is most retail, especially the big ones, they just slowly die. Don't hate me for saying this, but Macy's, unless they make a major change, they're just dying. And they controlled the world here. Yeah, 100%. If you, Macy's, you, couldn't, you couldn't build a brand. So I think they could still turn it around, but they got to make some drastic moves. They got to carry a lot of brands like Hammett that don't compete with them, that are partners. I think that's the step for anyone that's got a retail business out there. Find brands like Hammett that are true partners. They don't compete on price. They always give you the same highest level of product and quality that they get, that they sell online. They support you as much as they can. Those are the brands that you can grow with. And there's a lot of good ones out there. Absolutely. Tony, what are some of the, the tools that you think are going to be important here uh, the next few years for, for you know, brands to, to implement? Well, I mean, I think on technology, again, I told you we launched on NetSuite. I think a back-end ERP is so critical. So whether it's NetSuite or another, there's not a lot of other ones that are out there. you got to start there because it's like a squid right now. There's so many other softwares out there that depend on a strong back-end. And if you have that, you can bolt a lot onto the front. That's for sure, whether it be a Shopify Plus or anything else. But also when it comes to tools, I mentioned we we're using SMS just started last year. It's a must. I mean, if you're under 25 years old, you only communicate with with SMS. So you don't even use email. So if you want to reach that generation, but also we find it's it's all ages. It's just people are working and, and living on their mobile phone. So SMS, Hero, that video communication, gorgeous on top of that, I think cre- it creates a great customer experience that they can have access to at any time in any place. So we have people manning our concierge on the floor of our retail stores, downtown at Hammett Television, in our wholesale showroom, or even when we're out doing trunk shows at third-party partner stores, people can jump on and communicate. It's great. I think those are key tools right now for direct consumer. The customer, they need visibility into the inventory themselves. And if they can't get it, they better be able to talk to one person quickly and find out if you have it and where it is and how quickly can they get it. Tony, that was a wealth of information. Thank you so much for everything you shared with us. Before I let you go, what are some some cool things or some favorites for you in the LA area or the Mosa Beach area if people are visiting uh, down south? 
Well, you know, I, I'd say if you come down to Hermosa Beach, head right to our strand. It's a concrete path that stretches from South Redondo Beach all the way to Malibu. You get on it on a bicycle or just walk, head either direction, and you'll have a wealth of beauty to look at. You can stop off and get some food in one of the other little beach towns. You can rent a bicycle, skate, or you can get on the sand and go out to the water, watch a sunset. It's the greatest free gift that God gave us in this community. And it's there for everybody. That's what's great. I love it. I got to come visit you. I got to come visit you and and see what Hermosa Beach is all about. You've never been here, Bobby. You're just up north. I know. I got to. I got to. Southern California. I travel across the United States before I go to Southern California for some reason, even though it's much easier, right? Yeah. uh, I mean, I would say this is that magical community. You've heard of Manhattan Beach. Of course. Of course. Two of the sharps have homes there. Yeah. It's, just, it's become the city you need to have a home in for good and a little challenging in that there's a lot of empty homes now. No one's there, second, third, and fourth, but it's still such a vibrant community. Hermosa's right next door, and we like to say that it's completely different, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Sonia. It was a pleasure talking to you today, and uh, I know our listeners are really going to enjoy this here. I hope it was helpful, Bobby. Listen, thanks a lot. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Brick and Mortar Reborn. To find the resources mentioned in this show and detailed show notes, head over to brickandmortarreborn.com.